Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs. I'm Nick. He's Keith. Uh, you can probably tell right away we're doing things a little bit differently for our uh, playoff preview episode. Our fearless leader, host extraordinaire, the voice you guys usually hear first when you tune into our show, Cam, couldn't be with us for this one. He's uh, on the other side of the country for a wedding. And I, I know this will probably come as a shock to our regular listeners, but Keith, you're on a bit of a road trip yourself, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, first off on Cam, like I've been traveling a lot for work lately as always and i haven't been as like tapped into you know personal life and friends and stuff like that is he like he's able to watch the game right uh i believe so i sure hope so <laughs> yeah i'm just because i know he's out there for a wedding i'm like jesus if he's at like some like rehearsal dinner or something that could be bad but um <laughs> Yeah, I am currently in, I think, like, Kingston, Ontario, in the passenger seat of my dad's SUV. Um, I bought tickets to Game 1 a couple of weeks or a week ago or whatever it was before we knew the date, um, which meant that I didn't buy flights because I didn't know which day it was going to be. <laughs> Once they made the announcement, late, I think it was late Thursday night, or I think I saw it Friday morning that it was Tuesday, and went online and flights from New Brunswick Believe it or not, we do not have a, uh, a very great airport anywhere. There's kind of a the three Winnipeg cities in New Brunswick. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah I, have to take, like, I have to take a couple buses to get to an airport. But um, no, we have three big cities in New Brunswick, not big, relatively speaking, three actual cities that are not like townships. And um, none of like um, flights were like over 1500 bucks. Um, so dad and I are, are uh, record. I'm yeah, recording this from the road. Dad, y'all go, Leafs, go. Oh, Leafs, go! There you go. Um, <laughs> we got a, so, a pop of Whipple appearance yes. on the pod here. <laughs> so we're, uh, yeah, I don't know, we're a couple, like three hours out from Toronto. I plan to do this in the hotel room tonight. It's a longer drive than we anticipated. We <laughs> ran into some tra- traffic, but um, yeah, excited. It uh, hasn't really set in yet that uh, I'll be at the game tomorrow night, but I'm pretty excited. Yeah, well, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit jealous, but yeah, super excited that you're going to be able to be there for that and uh, get to experience some uh, playoff hockey. The, the stakes are a little bit higher than you know most games that you've probably been able to attend in the past. But, oh, yeah. But yeah, pretty yeah. cool that you're getting to do that with the old man, and uh, yeah, hopefully it, it turns into a, a positive memory for both of you. So well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I, I'm gonna go with positive mainly because you know I'm a, I'm a believer in you know regression to the mean and you know th- things balancing out because the last time I bought my dad tickets and surprised him was when the Leafs were in the thick of the playoff hunt uh, for the last game of the season and the 18 Wheeler year and oh. we watched Tron- we watched Toronto versus Montreal when they were like eliminated for three weeks before that so hopefully better uh, better result this time and we also went to Boston one time and I think they lost like seven one. So we are due some good luck, some reg- some regression here. Well, considering the way things have gone for the Leafs over what the last two decades, you know, I think we have to be believers to to be able to continue <laughs> doing this and, and you know come back for more punishment year after year. But hopefully, this is the year that things flip in that other direction. So let's get right into it here. I mean, like this matchup has pretty much been carved in stone it's felt inevitable for practically the entire season if not longer you know going back to the way things ended last year 
These two did go at it last year in an incredibly close series in the first round. Basically came down to a coin flip. That's how it felt going into that series, too. Um, aside from another year passing, the stakes being even higher for this Leafs team, the management group, all of that, does this time around feel any different to you heading into it? And if so, what has kind of tipped the scales one way or the other for you? Yeah, it, like it's felt different almost every year. And I think that that's yeah. a bit of a testament to Dubas that with the cap constraints and the pandemic, not, you know, when the flat cap and, you know, just the he was going to have to maneuver in a tight cap anyways when he signed these deals. But then for him to, you know, continuously improve the roster and find ways to do that and get creative and, you know, it would have been very easy to look at, you know, the the fact that the cap didn't go up and, you know, the roster that you had last year and you lose some guys to be sitting here and going, yeah, the team's not as good as it was last year. It, it, it this is not the case. I think, you know, I've, I'm more confident in this roster than I have been in years past. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, and Nick, you've said this a bunch, but they have different type of players yeah. now. And, it, and it's not that they're more skilled maybe than last year. Like, if you think about, you know, you had Kasha and Mikheyev, like, those guys were plenty skilled. Um, I just don't, you, you just didn't seem to get the most out of them. And that's not excusing the fact that the big guys are the ones that are going to have to get it done. But the periphery of this team feels more playoff ready. And I know I'm not, you know, you know that's not earth shattering. That was very obvious and very kind of by design by Kyle Dubas. So um, seems to be a more playoff built team he seems to have maybe learned from some of the kind of lessons that they they've kind of had along the way but i think it's gonna you know it's it's gonna come down the main reason i'm, I'm focusing on the bottom six and the, and the guys on the outside is i think that these two teams top end players are kind of wash it's kind of like they like at any given moment, Braden Point can be as good as Austin Matthews and vice versa, and Kucherov and Marner, and Tavares and Stamkos. Like, it's a bit of a wash. It's, I think, on the bottom six, uh, personally, and I just, I like, I like the way that the Leafs match up that way. Well, uh, on the last episode that Cam and I did, I had mentioned that, you know, more so than any previous year, my excitement to watch this group in the postseason is outweighing the anxiety. Now, that anxiety is very much still there, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think a big reason for feeling that way, personally, is the additions that were made at the trade deadline and those changes that were made throughout the, you know, the depth portions of the lineup. So kind of running with that, Talking about some of the guys that were brought in late in the season, you know, you mentioned Ryan O'Reilly, there's Jake McCabe, Nola Chari, Sam Lafferty, Luke Shen, etc. Which of those guys to you could be the biggest potential X factor for the Leafs in this series? Yeah, I, I didn't even mention McCabe when I was running through the list, so that's a good point. But and and he's an easy one to say here, but I'm gonna go with Nola Chari. I yeah. think he's a guy that I mean, hey, we've seen him kind of break our heart like he's done it to oh, us oh man i Boston. hated that guy when he was with the bruins yeah. <laughs> it feels a lot better to have it, him in blue it, and white now <laughs> exactly and i think the main reason for it is a i think he's the type of guy that you see that scores a big goal in a playoff series and and kind of has that you know you need a goal and, and offense is tight and he's the guy that one banks in off his ass in front of the net or something like he's it, that's that's part of it but the other part is i'm not nervous if he gets caught out on the ice against the point line like, yeah. if anything, I might even be looking for it at certain points because then it frees up the rest of the team. And if you look at the way that Achari grades out with some of, like, the defensive analytics, 
he's elite, man. He's in the top echelon of this of the league for forwards and defensive impacts. Yeah, and so even I'm by the eye test, about, like he's been awesome on the penalty yeah. kill and everything like that yeah. too. And that's not to mention the fact that you know he's gonna he has the ability to kind of cause those momentum shifts where he goes out yeah. and runs the guy over and takes the puck from the D zone and gets an offensive zone face off and or you know something heavy on the cycle and gets an icing and you know the big boys come over the boards against a tired group like he has the ability to do stuff like that too so he's he's somebody for me like I I said this on Twitter the other day it's I was down between him and Lafferty of of being somebody that's gonna kind of be in a big moment in the series but I think there's more to Achari's game than what Lafferty can bring, and I, I think that happens. Yeah, I, I'm with you on Achari. I mean, I was a huge fan of him being included in that O'Reilly trade from day one. You know, you, you mentioned it. We've saw we've seen this guy kill us in the past, and you know exactly what he's going to bring to the table every night. Like, this is a guy who, you know, down the stretch with the Leafs, he was finishing every check with intent. Um, I think that's something that's going to be, you know, even ramped up further in the playoffs here once we get going. Uh, but for me, I, I think that the biggest potential X factor, and, and you know, not to dismiss Ryan O'Reilly by any means, because I think he is also going to be a, a huge X factor in this series. But looking at what Jake McCabe has been able to do on the Leafs blue line since he's been acquired, and you look at how he's probably going to be utilized in this series, you have him paired up with TJ Brody. That they're likely to take on the lion's share of the the difficult minutes. You know, most notably against that top line that Tampa is going to be rolling out: Steven Stamkos, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov. That, you know, that line can go toe to toe with any line in the NHL. And you know, more often yep. than not, they're probably going to come out on top. So, being able to have that shutdown pair that has been so successful. You know, it, albeit in a, a bit of a limited run here to close the season, I think that is going to be a, a real deciding factor in how the series plays out, whether those guys are able to really minimize the 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 impact that Tampa's top line is able to have at even strength. And then, you know, even looking at the, the penalty kill with how potent that Tampa Bay power play is, the, the Leafs are going to need some, some big performances on the penalty kill, to, you know, if they're going to find success in this series. And I think basically all of those guys that were brought in at the trade deadline are going to factor into that. But I think Jake McCabe is probably going to be tasked with more than pretty much anyone that, that was brought in at the deadline. So for me, that's the yeah, guy. And I think, uh, yeah. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a similarity between him and Achari in the sense that I think that McCabe is going to eat up obviously some harder minutes to free up Morgan Riley yeah. in similar fashion that, Achari can eat up some harder minutes and potentially free up John Tavares. Like a couple of guys that, you know, in Riley and Tavares that are obviously very strong offensive players that have maybe struggled a little bit five on five defensively. I think knowing that you have a McCabe and Achari that can kind of lighten the load for those two guys, um, you know, because again, the, the matchups are going to be huge in this and there's not a huge margin of difference between these two teams, you know, on paper really. Um, and I think that that's that's part of it like i think that you know you those two guys are really going to be kind of fed to the wolves a bit and hopefully free up some more opportunities for for the guys higher in the lineup well kind of you know on that note i think with the additions that were made and the way that this bottom six is looking like it's going to shake out at least to start the series i don't think that there's really a group that sheldon keith is going to have to really go out of his way to to shelter uh, no. against any of those Tampa Bay lines, right? They're just far more 
there's a lot more depth in the forward group, and I just think that you can expect larger contributions from this bottom six than basically any bottom six group of forwards that's been in place in the Matthews and Mariner era. But you mentioned yeah. John Tavares there, so going back to him for a minute, it looks like he's going to be starting the, the postseason on the left wing on the second line with Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I'm just wondering, do you think that that's going to hold through for the entire series, or will we see something a bit different on the road, potentially? But what would you be doing with O'Reilly heading into this series? So, on this drive up, we've been listening to, like, you know, a lot of talk radio, Leafs launch overdrive kind of thing, and I, that, that was a big topic of that, and it seems to be, everybody seems to be in agreement with it, and I'm not in, like, I'm not disagreeing with it, but I, I don't think it lasts. Like, I, I think that maybe to start the game, to start the, you know, at least game one, obviously that's the way it's going to be, but that could last a couple of shifts. And then, because I, I think you, I've been talking about matchups and, and strategic, like strategy and stuff like that. And I just think having Ryan O'Reilly on a third line, you know, with whoever it may be, that just entices me a lot. Like, that's, that's, incredible depth and that might push either maybe it pushes Achari to the wing with him or it pushes Achari down your fourth line like that it really kind of creates a matchup nightmare for Cooper and I almost wonder and this is maybe like tinfoil hat here but I almost wonder if it's a bit of gamesmanship from Keith to not kind of show his hand and not really you know I'm sure Tampa's preparing for either scenario obviously but knowing that you know this is kind of a back pocket you know ace up his sleeve kind of thing that he has to, to go to this in game but, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I, I don't think that this is something that you see. At least, maybe maybe it's just the two games at home, and then maybe when you lose last change, you, you, you want to have those matchups kind of, the, or have the, li- the lineup be, be lengthened out a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I, I like the idea of starting with O'Reilly playing 2C uh, alongside Tavares and Nylander. You know, maybe try to get the jump on them offensively. Again, going back to what we were just talking about, Keefe doesn't really have to worry about sheltering the Achari line or the Camp line. Obviously, David Camp has taken on a lot of difficult matchups in his time with the Leafs, and I think that's going to continue as well. But when they do get on the road and they don't have that last change, I think bumping O'Reilly back down to the third line just, as you said, lengthens out the lineup and creates a little bit more for John Cooper to think about when he's trying to to hunt for those matchups when he's got last change. So I I think that's probably the way it's going to go. Uh, I mean, that could all change if, you know, that second line goes out and lights it up through the first two games. Keith might be a little more hesitant. It's going to be hard to break it up. Yeah, and I think a lot of it will also depend on you know how the rest of that bottom six forward group performs. Uh, if they if they're able to kind of hold their head above water and, and chip in a little bit in those first two games at home, maybe Keith won't feel the need to to do that and, and move O'Reilly back down to the third line. Um, just a, a few more lineup things. I think the biggest questions surrounding the Leafs lineup heading into the postseason. Uh, the, the forward group is mostly settled. I know we'll talk about Matt and I's a bit, um, but uh, on the blue line, the, the big point of debate uh, down the stretch has been whether Luke Shen should be in the, the starting lineup for the playoffs over Timothy Lilligren. Um, it, it looks like they're going to go with Shen. I, I mean, it's difficult to argue with after what we saw him do in that uh, game against Tampa to close out the season there. He really kind of diminished whatever impact Pat Maroon thought he was going to be trying to make in that game. Um, really fed him his lunch there. Uh, yep. 
there's been a very clear initiative from the Leafs to to be able to compete and add those physical players who are, are going to be able to withstand that stuff in the playoffs. And we saw it last year with, with just how effective Tampa Bay, particularly the bottom six, were at generating offense off the cycle. Uh, again, the, you know, the, the, overall the Lightning's numbers and underlying metrics and all that, they, they've taken a pretty significant step back this season, but they are still one of the top teams in the league at creating offense off the cycle. So I think, you know, that is a big reason that Luke Shen is going to be in to start. And he's definitely going to be one of the guys look to 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 shut down those opposing cycle chances and clear the the uh, front of the Leafs net. And, you know, he's done a great job at that so far, at least you know, the the net front stuff and being physical down low. How much of a factor do you, do you think that's going to be uh, against the really heavy yet aging bottom six of the Lightning? Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why I brought up the bottom six in the kind of X factor segment that we were talking about there is like it was a big difference last year for Tampa. That was um, the difference that, in the series, really, when you it, look back. It at was it. it was Ross Colton and Nick and you know Paul and and Hagel. You know, I know Hagel's moved up now, but that that's and even Perry and Maroon. As much as you don't want to admit it, they were impactful in the series last year, and yeah. and I I think that's the exact reason why Luke Shen is there to try to neutralize their fourth line. He's almost like matchup, you know, if you're going to hard match something, it's like, you know, it's weird to hard match a fourth line, but that, that's kind of his job, I think, is to stop them from wreaking the havoc that they can wreak. I don't think he's going to play a lot. I don't think he's going to play much more than what the fourth line plays in, for Tampa. Like, yeah. I think it's going to be very much, you know, that that kind of, I don't know, if he gets over 11, 12 minutes kind of thing at the most. Um, but I can't argue with it. Like, this, this, this is... You know, I'm obviously somebody that has, you know, puts a bit of or a lot of faith in, in numbers and underlying numbers and trusting that. But I think in small samples, we talk about how things like that, maybe, you know, your expected goals and stuff like that over a few game sample size isn't necessarily the most important thing. And I think what is the most important thing is just making sure you have an answer to what Tampa is going to try to establish, which is a heavy forecheck and maybe, you know, a bit of some extracurriculars and stuff like that. So we saw it in the last game of the year. He's more than up to the task. Um, I, I'm fine with it, but again, it's a bit of a short leash for me in the sense that if he's getting caved in and getting caught out there, you know, and having and, and icing the puck three times and out of gas against you know the top six of, of Tampa, and it becomes a liability. Like at some point, you might have to think about swapping in Lilligren. But also, we, you see these playoff series come out hot in terms of like the 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 kind of, you know, pushing and shoving after the whistles and getting under people's skin and, you know, constant kind of bullshit like that. That happens a lot in the first couple of games, and then it seems to taper off a little bit um, when everybody really gets down to business. So at that point, if if that stuff subsides and, you know, Shen has become somebody that's costing you, uh, I think you got to go to Lilligren, but I I think this is the right way to start. Well, it's just another element... (laughs) <laughs> that's just another element uh, of what uh, the Leafs were able to accomplish at the deadline is giving themselves different options and and different looks, right? Like, you know, if Luke Shen goes out there and he's getting cooked off the rush in game one and game two or whatever, the Leafs have, you know, a, a clear option to pivot to who is more effective at defending in transition as Timothy Lilligren has shown over the course of the year. You know, he, he went through a bit of a rough patch following the trade deadline, you know, maybe with his role kind of being 
thrown up in the air a little bit there. But he sort of started to find it a little bit at, at the end of the season, as I think the, the team as a whole did as they started to settle in and kind of develop that chemistry with all the new guys. So, yeah, they have that option, and I, I just think that the Leafs are set up really well to kind of withstand whatever the Lightning want to throw at them. Yeah, and that's not even to mention Gust- Gustafson, who really was pretty good in his, yeah. his limited time with the Leafs. Like, they have options, right? So I think he was very underrated in, yeah. in his, you know, the, the few games that he got into after the trade deadline. I know a lot of people kind of looked at Gustafson as a bit of an afterthought or maybe some insurance for the power play if Morgan Riley got hurt. But I think he acquitted himself really well when he was given an opportunity. And, and I, I never felt uncomfortable with him out there. I know the playoffs are an entirely different animal, and that's probably why the, the Leafs are leaning more on the experience and the, the physicality and the grit and all you know those intangibles that Luke Shen brings. But they do have options. Yeah, and speaking of options, um, you know, just to, to shift gears a bit, but but yeah, like the Leafs, Matt Nice is not going to be in the lineup for Game One. Um, I think personally makes sense. Um, it's not something that you know you're not uh, getting yourself into a situation where you have to take Matt Nice out of the lineup and the, what would go along with that. It's more of you're bringing him in if you need him, um, and, and he kind of avoids all the the pressure and nerves of finding the footing in Game One. Um, that said, like, you know, you're a guy who has watched a lot of, of Matt Nyes and been my kind of, you know, source of scouting reports and things like that. Um, what, I guess, you know, what did you see in those three games and, and that he got in? And before, you know, I throw to you, you know, my kind of untrained scouting eye, you know, really just in that first game, he looked like a guy who maybe didn't know exactly where to be at all times, which makes sense given he was in a NCAA game 40 hour, 48 hours before that. He was... No practice. Hadn't practiced with the team. Not yeah. even a game day. They didn't even have a game day skate. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he looked like a guy who maybe was didn't know where to always be, especially like positionally in in zone in the defensive zone. Um, maybe, yeah. I mean, you did see you did get to see the raw kind of skills, especially down below the net, like the when hit hit him and him uh, with Mark Mark Stahl behind the net. But um, it, you know, and then just from there, the the Tampa game and the Rangers game, just that much more comfortable each time. Um, look to be a threat at times too so yeah. not some not somebody that i'm worried about uh you know ever if he was in game one i'd be completely fine but i understand why he's not but what was your kind of take um based off the matt and you've seen so much of in, in the ncaa to, to maybe what the matt and in the nhl look like well, I think you're pretty spot on in terms of him looking more comfortable, you know, not with just each passing game, but almost with each passing shift. I thought that, you know, that that bit of hesitance that he had or, or whatever, it, it seemed to, to dissipate as time went along. And he really did show off some of the skills that will set him apart at the NHL level. But I'm with you. I think I would have been fine with whatever the Leafs decided to do because I think Nyes showed well enough in those three games that you could make the case that, you know, he should be in there. But I think you could also make the case that the group that's in place has kind of earned the right to, to have the first crack at the Lightning as well. And as you mentioned, there's a lot more that goes into it than just, you know, what we as outside observers see. You know, there's relationships to manage and there's emotions to manage with these players. And I think, you know, having to go to a Zach Aston Reese or even a Sam Lafferty or what have you and tell them, hey, you know, we really like what you've done for us this year, but we're going to start with the kid. 
you know, th that could have a, a negative. Uh, I think the chances of that having a negative impact are a lot higher than telling Nyes that he's going to be watching the first couple of games and for him to stay ready. I think, you know, you're kind of dangling a bit of a carrot in front of the kid that way. It gives him a, a more of a chance to get acclimated and, you know, just familiarize himself with his teammates. He only had his first practice with the team uh, on Sunday, you know. So it, it's not like he's got a wealth of experience or has a, this huge sample size to draw from. And that's kind of what we talked about, you know, leading up to him even turning pro was that it was going to be really difficult for him to carve out a spot or steal a job from a regular with just two or three games of runway to close out the season. That said, I think, you know, he, for me, he exceeded my expectations. I, I was going into this being really excited to see what he could bring at the NHL level, but I was kind of expecting him to be, you know, a, a, far less visible than he was in, in those three games. I, I thought that his, his ability to make plays in small areas under pressure, like the, the hands to be able to string plays together and make like just those little short area passes off the wall and stuff, that was really evident. And something that, you know, not everyone in this Leafs lineup is capable of doing. Like that one play against the Rangers where he went and chased down that puck along the wall, you know, threw in a little stick lift, spun off a of Braden Schneider and just drove right to the far post. There's not a lot of guys that can do that consistently at the NHL level. So I think it was really encouraging to see those flashes from him. And, yeah, he is a legitimate option for Sheldon Keefe, you know, as the playoffs are getting going. But I don't think that having him as the 13th forward and having him sit up in the press box and watch a game or two or three or whatever it ends up being is an indictment on his play by any means. Uh, if anything, I'd be looking at it as a positive, you know, giving him more of a chance to just – see what it's all about at this time of the year. There's no reason to really heap more pressure onto this kid right now. It's not as if anyone has really played their way out of the, the Leafs lineup. I know some people listening are probably rolling their eyes and, you know, criticizing what Sam Lafferty has brought so far, but I think I've been a bigger fan of his game than, you know, judging by the conversations I've had with others. I think I've liked Lafferty's game a, a lot more than, than most people, and I think that his speed and ability to get in on the forecheck, never mind his ability to you know potentially win a big face-off on a penalty kill or something like that, that is going to prove valuable at some point throughout this series. So, yeah, I really have no problem with the Leafs kind of... It, it's a bit of a, a dance with the ones that brought you sort of deal, right? Yep, and it's also, like, to me, it's also... The, the, the impact that Nye's had and, and, you know, the fact that I'm sure the guys in the locker room know, like, holy shit, this gets pretty good. That's yeah. probably a, a motivator to light a fire under Absolutely. an Aston Reese or a Lafferty that it's like, hey, man, if I have a couple of bad games, I'm not in the lineup. So, yeah. like, that's, that's I'm sure, something that they're thinking about. And, and, and not to not to go too deep in the, in the Matt Nye's scouting report stuff, but I, I am curious. Again, you've watched a lot of them. Was there? I know we saw the like the the below the hash mark stuff and the ability to make plays in tight spaces. Was there anything, or is there anything from his college game that you didn't see in the three games, like a skill or, or some sort of trait that he didn't necessarily get to show off that you think might be coming? Um, you know, once he gets a little bit more comfortable in the league. 
I'd say the biggest thing was the the physicality. I know you know a, a lot of people. I was hoping you were going to say just that. See, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people see the odd clip of Matt Nyes on Twitter, and you know he's had his fair share of, of bone crushing hits over the last couple of years at Minnesota. But I think there might be a little bit of a misconception that he's the type of player who is constantly flying around looking for that, which isn't yeah. really the case. Uh, I think he picks his spots pretty well, and you know it, he he hits with a purpose. You know, it's to separate the opposition from the puck. And I don't know if it was more a matter of the opportunities not being there in those three games that he got into down the stretch. Or it could be just a, ti- a timing just a, thing too. It's a lot faster. The timing would be that's something yeah. you got you to nail. Like you can't throw yourself out there for a big hit, and all of a sudden the puck's going the other way because you're headfirst into the boards and you miss the guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like that's the kind of thing that the coaching staff would have been watching for. Is this guy trying to do too much? And I think that would fall into that category. Yeah. But that said, simplify the game. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's what Nyes was trying to do as time went along in those handful of games there. But I think, you know, as he gains more experience, gets more comfortable, you know, in his own skin, so to speak, at the NHL level, I, I think we'll see a bit more of that. And that, that's maybe the one thing I'm most curious about if he does get into a, a few playoff games here is how much of that are we going to see out of him? Is he going to to kind of ramp it up the way that most guys do when the postseason starts? Or is he just going to kind of keep trying to play that safe game without trying to do too much or take himself out of position uh, by throwing a big hit. There's also the element of this kid being 20 years old and, you know, he's coming from being the biggest, strongest guy on the ice more often than not to being the kid in a men's league, right? So that's that's something that's difficult to kind of quantify or whatever, but it's a real thing. And... It, yeah, it's difficult to to put that much on a kid and expect him to be kind of the the guy that goes out there and generates momentum with physicality and toughness at just 20 years of age when he he's just barely getting his feet wet in the NHL. Yeah, all right. So I mean, don't want to make this the Matthew Nice pod, although it's obviously we've exciting, had a few of those uh, already. Stuff though. to happen <laughs> finally. Yeah, but. It's exciting to finally have him in the blue and white um, and, you know, already, you know, looking forward to seeing him in his next game. But, um, you know, playoff preview show, um, get into a little bit about the uh, what's coming up here in the matchup that we're going to see. Um, you know, I, I want to we can kind of go over the two lineups and how they stack up. I think, you know, we could probably leave goaltending out. It is what it is. Like, I think we all understand Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. Um, you know, although that said, Samsonov really hasn't given us a reason to, to, to doubt him this year. He's been nothing but great all season long. But, um, I mean, I think it's pretty clear where we would give the well, edge. Well, the one but big difference between at, the goaltenders is one guy has done it, one hasn't. Then that, that's really the one guy's only... done it. If you look at this season, look at this season in yeah. a vacuum, it's a, it's a coin flip. Um, but, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. It's it's the guy. One guy's been there and done it. One guy has not. And you can kind of extrapolate that to the entire series, right? Like as I, I mentioned earlier, like the Leafs grayed out by the numbers and pretty much grayed out better by the numbers in pretty much every regard. But there are things, factors for both sides that are impossible to quantify. You know, like yeah. we don't have to tell anyone listening to this about the demons and the ghosts that the the Leafs might be seeing when things get tough in this series. And there's also that, you know, impossible to measure kind of 
experience and playoff savvy that this Lightning group has. And I, I, I said this before, but I think anyone doubting their ability to turn it on when, when the games really start to matter is just fooling themselves. So I, I, I'm thinking this is going to be, you know, pretty close series again that's probably going to go pretty deep. Yeah, I mean, I think going into the, season, the series last year, I felt confident in the team and, you know, thought, you know, probably it was a coin flip at best. I think it's maybe slightly better than that now. Yeah. Um, you know, I would if it was 50-50 last year for me, it's maybe like 55 for the Leafs. Um, but, no, you're right. I mean, all down the stretch since the trade deadline, all this talk about, you know, Tampa and Tampa falling off and, you know, um, have they played too much hockey is the core kind of, you know, aging a little bit and, and kind of, you know, do they do they have it still kind of thing? And, and obviously, it just means nothing to them. I, if there's a team in the season in this in the entire league that I could buy, you know, the regular season doesn't mean anything to them. It's Tampa. Yeah. Um, so, not taking that as any kind of indication of their play. But that said, I think you know we you probably read that Justin Bourne Pierce piece, and I, I would agree with that. That it's like if you remove the names of the teams yeah. and the, the the history that's associated with Tampa and the history that's associated with Toronto, which are polar opposites. <laughs> and you just look at the, the, the guys that are going to be playing. And even if you fuck, even if you took their names away and just looked at their impacts, like underlying numbers, box score numbers, whatever it is, I think you, you lean Toronto, but that doesn't matter. Right. We've talked about this. The playoffs are a different animal. Um, this is not a slam dunk. This is not a heavy favorite situation. The Leafs have a ton of emotional baggage um, <laughs> that they're going to have, they're going to have to get over. So um, yeah, I mean, I think the Leafs are rightfully the favorites, um, but it's hard to ignore everything that comes along with well, the history of bo- both of these two teams. Well, the Leafs are favorites for the fourth straight year, and that's meant very little in the past. So yep. it, it, there's, it's impossible to read too much into that. Um, you know, I, I think we saw the Leafs, their underlying numbers and you know all their fancy stats, they kind of took a hit immediately following the trade deadline as well. But they've yep. certainly been trending up in terms of their yep. expected goals and all that stuff uh, down the stretch here. While the Lightning have continued to scuffle, both in terms of their underlying numbers and their win-loss record. So they are feeling a little bit vulnerable. But again, this is a team that's been there, been to the mountaintop. They've done it all before. And I think you know they'll have that to lean on and that experience to pull from here when things start getting tough for them so it's 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 going to be a, a real a real battle all the way through but i think you know if we're going to get into sort of the prediction portion of the show here again going back to what we said earlier uh, we've got to be able to believe in this team if we're going to continue doing this and I think my belief in this team is stronger than it's ever been just with all the additions they've made and how all the pieces kind of fit together. You know, you see the the massive year out of William Nylander. I think he's another guy who could kind of be an X factor in terms of being the separator of that, you know, that upper echelon of forwards that both teams have. I know you, you can kind of, you cancel out Marner and Kucherov and then you've got you know, maybe Tavares and Stamkos, Matthews and Point. I don't know that Tampa Bay has a William Nylander in their lineup. That's a good point. So uh, I think I think he's going to be a guy who's really looked to to kind of tip the scales a little bit. And it, I think it's a really positive thing to see that he started to find his game again a bit 
in the last couple of weeks of the season after he hit his only rough patch of the season, which that in itself is a, a positive development for Will, uh, for William Nylander. And and just so, talking about di- differentiators and stuff too. And and this is this might be setting myself up for uh, you know a freezing take here, but like I I'm not afraid of Tampa's defense, and that's no. that's the thing. That's to me, you know, where the Leafs have the the clear edge. Um, I think Tampa's higher end has the potential to to be more impactful, but like they on don't the have, whole, they, yeah, the Leafs don't have a Victor Hedman if Victor Hedman is on. But Victor Hedman yeah. has not been on this year, and yeah. I didn't find him particularly great last year in the first round. Maybe in Game Seven when he when they when they really kind of shrunk the ice and and he really kind of you know grabbed a hold of things. But early in the series, you know, when they could could have still kind of put their their foots on their neck a little bit, I didn't find Victor Hedman to be that great now. Again, he has the ability to do it. Like the ceiling of him is higher than anybody on the Leafs. But um, yeah, no, I, I don't. After that, I mean, Sergachev is fine. Sergachev's had a great he's year. He's, he's, he's taken over that power play, and you know he, he's been successful in that role. But I don't think anyone really looks at Mikhail Sergachev and fears him as like no. a, a, a premier no. shutdown kind of guy. No, and then after that, you're into your you know Perbix and Radish and. Cole and Bogosian, like they're fine players, but they're not. I don't know. I, I, I like what the Leafs have next to that. I don't think TJ Brody gets nearly enough respect around the league. I think Jake McCabe, obviously, we've talked about him. Uh, Mark Giordano's been rested and his minutes have been dialed back and he's been rested a little bit. Like, I, I expect him to come in pretty fresh. Like, that's yeah. the part that I think if you're looking at a matchup that the Leafs could maybe hang their hat on, it's, it's probably on the back end. Well, look at it this way. You know, the, the Leafs are going to be starting the postseason with Timothy Lilgren and Eric Gustafson both on the outside looking in. Both I of them would be in Tampa's lineup. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement to make. Um, yep. So, kind of, you know, getting to, to the forwards, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, like that those those top guys can kind of cancel each other out to some extent or it'll be a wash of some kind. Um, just looking at some of the underlying numbers like the Leafs their their top line and their best offensive players particularly Matthews and Marner you know it's no secret that they're a, a couple of the the most talented offensive players in the NHL very few now, winners can can drive a a game like Marner can absolutely and i think the 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 biggest difference or the biggest advantage that the the Leafs will have in that group of, of you know top offensive threats between the two teams is the defensive ability of Matthews and Mariner and the way that they're able to not only just generate offense for themselves but they're also able to kind of mitigate chances against you know no matter who they're playing against so yeah. i think that's going to come down it's going to obviously saying that you know the the best players for the Leafs have to be their best players is obvious of course goes without saying yeah yes but i think that's a spot where that could really kind of tilt the series in the Leafs favor if the the Leafs best guys are able to be their best guys and, and make that huge impact at both ends of the rink 100% and and i think you know there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it right like do you want to have do, like Matthews and Marner do not need to be sheltered, but if you are able to have O'Reilly and Achari and those guys take some of the tougher assignments away on home ice and then let Marner and Matthews absolutely feast, that's possible if you if you lengthen out the lineup and and even you know with with the with the kind of defensive acumen that that Achari has, 
you know, lower in the lineup, you don't feel bad about those guys taking on some tougher assignments. So, you know, do you want to have Matthews and Marner kind of going against, you know, some of the lower competition? Or, like you just said, you feel comfortable with, with Matthews and Marner out there against the, the, the point line because of they are that great, good defensively, and they can turn defense into offense very quickly. Um, there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. Like, I do like the idea of just ma- like maximizing the offensive output of Matthews and Marner um, the most you possibly can. I think that's part of the reason you acquired Orion O'Reilly. Um, but it's interesting to see how they're going to, to play it out because, you know, I'm a big Sheldon Keefe guy, but I think he has been outcoached a little bit in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, I think he's overthought some things in yeah, the past. But right? we've talked a lot about, like, hey, you know, the Leafs players, you know, have been you know, gotten it done in the regular season and haven't been, haven't been able to find that other gear in the playoffs. I think you could apply some of that to Sheldon Keefe too. Um, so yeah. I think it's a big, it's a big postseason for him just as much as, as much as it is anybody. Well, well, I mean, that kind of takes me to the, the stakes for each team here. I mean, obviously the stakes are higher for the Leafs. Uh, I mean, there's jobs on the line. There's, yeah. you know, roster construction on the line. I, I don't Just think that out, anyone... Like the whole outlook of the franchise, man, for the yes, most part. The, exactly. Yeah. The entire outlook of this franchise and this core and everything that's been built up over these last seven or eight years is hanging in the balance heading into this series. And, you know, while the stakes aren't quite as high for Tampa Bay because of the success that they've had, they're also looking to show that they're not dead yet and that they still have another run in them. So I I think that, you know, there's a lot on the line for both teams here. And it's cliche, but it really could come down to who wants it more. And I think that the, the Leafs are far better set up for that style of game with some of the additions that they've made over the course of the season. So th- this sort of has a feeling like it, it could be a bit of a, a changing of the guard as, you know, the, the Leafs, they have those scars and those bitter disappointments from years past. And, you know, their their stars are really kind of starting to come into their own as leaders and all that stuff. Whereas Tampa is sort of on the other side of things where they've, they've had, you know, their Stanley Cup success and they're, they're, out, a they're, lot out, of, they're out to prove that they're a dynasty. Like they're, they're not ready yes. to pack it in. Exactly. But a lot of their most important players are, are starting to, to get over that other side of the aging hill. Right. So yeah. this does have the, the sort of the feel that it could be a bit of a changing of the guard, but it's going to be up to the Leafs to, to really take advantage of that and get it done. I think, you know, a lot of this is lined up well for the for the Leafs to have success here and it, it's it's basically now or never so we're really going to see what these guys are made of from top to bottom and, and I'm really looking forward to it man um I I guess it's time to get into our, our predictions for the series eh? well yeah spe- speaking like I feel like we've we've there's been a, a hint of negativity and a lack of passion in the last 15 minutes <laughs> of our talking of our of our, of our let's conversation bring it back. so that's a good I think we know where we're both uh, where we're both leading for the outcome of the series. But you you go first. What's your what's your take? What's your prediction for the series? My prediction is that the Leafs are going to get this done in six games. And the biggest reason I'm yeah. saying six games is because I think if it gets to seven, I don't feel so good about that. And, and that, that just kind of <laughs> goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, the the demons and ghosts of playoff past that might sneak up on the Leafs yep. here. So I think it's going to be imperative for them to get out to a good start. I think game one is going to be really important, especially the fact that they're at home. Um, they have to, you know, I, I think Tampa would be happy with a split. So 
Uh, Toronto really has to be pushing to, to come away with a lead as they head down to Tampa for games three and four. And I think if they're able to do that, that uh, this will be the year that they're able to drive that final nail home and, and move on to the second round. Yeah, I, uh, I think I was going to say Leafs in six, but I'm going to change my answer. And uh, and I have a, you know, it might sound negative, but I have a better spin on it. And I think it's Leafs in seven because I think that this is a year to completely kind of squash narratives and bad, you know, omens and demons and everything. Like so, that. you know, the fact that, yes, they're going to get over the hump in the first round, but they're also going to win a game seven. So um, Leafs in seven is my prediction. I think, I mean, yeah, like not to, not to go like, too kind of analytical and whatever like just talking about like you know at some point the law of averages is going to kick in here yeah but <laughs> other than, even just with that removed from the equation like the, specifically talking about Matthews and Marner and I'll, maybe I'll throw Riley and, and Tavares in there too to an extent but like mostly Matthews and Marner this is their team like this is yeah. this is they're wearing this more than anybody else like this reputation of not being yeah. able to get it done these are two guys that, you know, are like Hall of Fame caliber players that need to shake this, this like reputation that they've gotten themselves, like rightfully gotten themselves of not being able to get it done in a big moment. So I think enough's enough for them. They like you, 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 these are the two guys that I'm looking forward to, you know, we all this talk about the top lines being a wash. They no, they need to be the ones that are the clear, better players in this series and they're capable of doing it. They've shown they can do it in the regular season. We've seen glimpses of it in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think of the goal that they scored last year. I think it was in game five. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 this is the time. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going Leafs in seven, and I'm going that, you know, Matthews and Marner are going to be a big reason. I know I completely flip-flopped on what I said earlier, but it'd be in the bottom six. But I'm feeling better. I'm closer to Toronto, and I'm going with that. All right, so surprise, surprise, the the Leafs fans are predicting that the Leafs are going to win the series. Uh, I, I am feeling a lot better about it this time. I'm as confident as I've ever been in this team, and yeah, it's really time for them to get it done. Um, on that note, Keith, would you like to remember a Leaf? I love, yeah, I love that you, you remember to do this. Uh, I'm trying Shout to make Cam, Cam proud out Cam. here. Yeah we're, yeah, we're really trying to just stumble our way through this without Cam, so figured I'd try and, you know, <laughs> Find some level of consistency with the with the podcast here, and and bring back the segment that that Cam's been starting up for us lately. So, my remember yeah, a leaf it, for this week is Chad Kilger. You remember Chad Kilger? <laughs> I I do. I I mean I yes I, I do. I don't necessarily have like vivid memories of him. He's from a bit of a dark time. Um, but uh, well, yeah, actually, I mean, Chad Kilger scored a goal and added an assist. In Game Seven against the Ottawa Senators, right. way back in the opening just, round of the 0304 playoffs, that's the last I was just time. About to ask yeah, they won around. That's yeah. the last. I was time. just about to ask if he uh, if he got at least one or two years of the kind of good years of the Leafs. So yeah, he he was in a, po- a pre lockout team then, obviously. Yeah, he he was there for the the 0304 playoffs. Um, Joe Newendike scored the winner in that Game Seven. Um, before the Leafs went on to to lose in six games against the Philadelphia Flyers in the second round. Chad Kilger came back for a couple seasons after that. He was eventually traded to Florida in 08 
for uh, a third round pick that turned out to be some guy that I've never heard of. So, um, yeah, it's been a long fucking time, man. It's been a long time coming since uh, the Leafs have found any measure of playoff success, never mind, you know, making it to, to the top of that mountain that every team is striving for every year. So we're due, man. We're due. Why, and, why uh, not the Leafs, right? Why not the Leafs? So I think that's a good place to, to end it. And uh, we'll hope that we did Cam proud uh, as we, we tried to, to make our way through this without him. And, yeah, uh, go Leafs go. I really hope you and your old man get to enjoy game one and you guys get to celebrate a win. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate that, man. We'll talk soon. Peace.